Welcome to Love Works with Chris and Karen Conley. This is Karen, and we have a terrific two-part series that we are going to bring to you. It is on a topic that is in Chris's wheelhouse. Chris loves leadership, and we want to be a resource to you on our program today. One of the things that you frequently hear about leaders is that leaders are readers and that readers are leaders. Every single person in their strengths and according to their skill set can be a leader in that area. So I think God gives all of us leadership qualities because we're created in the image of God. God wants us to be leaders in our families, in our friend groups, in the workplace. I love to read, and over the Christmas break, I read a great book called Rework by the authors of the people who founded Basecamp, kind of a project management software that a lot of companies use. And it was just a book that was refreshing because it was a book that was really written out of the learning curve of this startup company. It was so practical. I just thought that there are some great insights here that we can talk about today that you can apply on whatever level fits the category of your life. And I just walked into the studio from spending some time with a group of women. We were talking about where we were 10 years ago and where we want to be in 10 years. One of the themes that kind of came out of the conversation was you have these dreams, but then it's so easy at some point in life just to get content where you are, just to kind of live in the stream of whatever daily normal looks like for you, to really kind of let go of some of those dreams and things that maybe you at one point thought would be a part of your future. So maybe you don't consider yourself somebody who's in leadership. The practical takeaways from this book, I think, would challenge and encourage all of us. We can't just become complacent with where we are. You've got to just breathe life into those God-given dreams and talents that you have. And there's some practical things, I think, from this that make that feel more doable. Ultimately, all leadership begins with just leading ourselves. So in that way, all of us need to be leaders because we need to lead ourselves to live the life that God has designed for us. Well, let's jump in to some of the takeaways that you highlighted from your time looking at this book. The first one I thought was kind of funny. I am the person that does like to make sure everything's all correct. And I'm texting people going, give me your feedback on that. How did that go? And their approach was learning from mistakes is overrated. For someone who's a type A, that kind of feels like, how could you possibly say that? Give us some context and how we can apply that to our lives. Well, the idea here is, yes, of course, everyone's going to make mistakes, but let's not put the focus on making mistakes. And when we make that mistake, yes, there's a responsibility to learn from it. But instead of just evaluating what we have done wrong, why not evaluate what we do right? And to understand that when something succeeds, you then know what worked. And once you you know what worked, then you can do it again and it can become predictable and it can become repeatable. Success is the experience that actually counts. It's the experience that matters. And so if we were interviewing somebody, I do want to know what some of their greatest mistakes were. And I want to know what they learned from those mistakes. But more importantly, I want to know what they've been successful at. And I want to know their proven success over time and the progress over time. So that's why they say learning from mistakes is overrated. So many times when whatever it might be, if it's preparing 
a new meal or starting a new organization or anything in between. It's in that normal human process that you look at what didn't go right and you dwell on that so much that sometimes you even miss what did succeed and what was helpful thing to go, oh, that worked and that was great. I'm going to move on with that and I'm going to keep doing that and not get so hung up on the thing that didn't work as well as you wanted it to. Right. Because all of us are attuned to what went wrong. But sometimes we take for granted what went right. But the more that we can focus on what went right, the more we can create a process that ensures that we are successful in a predictable way again and again and again. But if we neglect what was the process that created the product, you know, you can't have the product without the process. If we neglect the process, then all of a sudden, whether we're successful or not becomes accidental. It's just one of those things, well, we were lucky this time, but we were unlucky that time. No. When I go back to my athletic career and I think about golf, a lot of times you heard people say something like this, practice makes perfect. No, it doesn't. Actually, perfect practice makes perfect. Because if I'm practicing the wrong thing, then I'm getting better at being bad. In this way, we want to really go back and we want to see when we are successful what enabled us to be successful, analyze the process, and then learn how to repeat the process. So don't get stuck on the things that go wrong. Focus on what goes right and learn from that and keep repeating that. The next principle I thought also speaks right in your love language. You are a doer. This principle that they worded as start making something has so much packed into it. Explain what they're talking about. Yeah, there are a lot of people who are dreamers. But there are not a lot of people who make their dreams come true. A lot of people have great ideas, but those great ideas never come into reality. There's a lot of people who will create a plan, but they never execute the plan. So I don't necessarily want to hear you tell me what you're going to do. I want to know what you have done. Karen, I know one of the things that you're a writer and you're in the process of trying to get a book published. And we're meeting with a book agent this Sunday that we have signed with. One of the questions there is, you know, when an agent looks at you, are you going to tell them about an idea you have or are you going to show them a product, a completed product that you've already finished? If I'm going to try to sell somebody, I want to know they are capable of starting something and finishing something in this particular particular way, I appreciate ideas. I appreciate execution of ideas more than I do just the ideas. And I think that applies, again, to such a broad spectrum of our lives that, you know, when I think about it in a ministry context, there are so many times that we think, oh, it would be great if there was a way that we could reach this group of people or we could minister to these needs. And they do. They just stay in idea mode. Instead of living in idea mode, if we spent less time waiting till everything was exactly right and all of our circumstances lined up to begin that project or to begin trying to reach out to those people, most of the time we never get there. It never starts. And so even in those examples, okay, if there's something that you feel like you're gifted to do and that you have a heart and a passion for, start small. Do something is better than just keeping it in the idea world. Absolutely. When you said start small, 
once we start small and we begin to experience some victories and we put some wins under our belt, that gives you more energy. It increases your commitment to tackle the next thing, the bigger thing. One of the ways that I would try to summarize this principle, I think it's easier, actually. I think it's easier to teach a doer how to think than it is to teach a thinker how to do. So in that way, I prioritize someone who is capable of taking an idea and executing and getting it done. And I can teach them how to be a greater thinker and a greater planner and put more strategy into it. But I want to know that you can get it done. It's funny, as I was reviewing uh, for this podcast, I didn't realize you had read this specific book, but as I was looking at the content of the book, it made me think about HLI, the High Point Leadership Institute, also the Love Works organization. Explain in a practical way maybe how you've actually applied this principle to two brand new programs and opportunities in the life of those that are connected with High Point Church. What we've done is we've taken the vision of High Point Church. High Point Church exists to prove that love works. And we said we want to create a nonprofit aspect of that vision where what we've done is Brian Smith and I have gotten together and we got our wives together and we went away on a retreat about two and a half years ago. And we put a vision, values, and strategy together how we can create this organization, Love Works, where the purpose of that organization is to create difference makers in the workplace. What we're going to do is we're going to say that every Every problem in this world can be solved by two things, leadership and love. And when you apply leadership and love, that's when you see love work in the home, in the workplace, in the church, everywhere. So what we've done, instead of just keeping that in idea world, waiting for someone to come give us money to do it, or waiting for someone to come kind of bless the idea and say, you should do that. We just decided it needed to be done. So what we've done is now we've put that together where we went through a planning phase. Right now we're in a pilot phase and we just launched Love Works Mentoring where we have about 15 executives mentoring 15, 20-somethings. And the first four months of that curriculum is on character development. And the next four months of that curriculum is on career development. So they go through an eight-month process and they've got four months designed to build their character, four months designed to shape their career. And they graduate from that process. And what we've just done, we've had these established leaders and executive level leaders pour into the life of emerging leaders so that they become difference makers. That process, they'll graduate in September. And when they graduate in September, we'll be able to announce to our church and to our community, here's a proven product. Then what we're doing is we're starting the Love Works Leadership Conference. It'll kick off August 26th. So all of that's coming together, and we're just simply starting. And we're going to start here, and we're going to see where it goes, and we're going to believe big things, but we're not going to let all the excuses tell us all the reasons why we shouldn't do it. And I do love that as an example, obviously, near and dear to our heart. How many times do we talk about good ideas? Like I said, I could be the one that wait, 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 wait till that all gets, you know, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? A hundred times in a meeting. But to think we are piloting it, and that's a great way to be able to start something without 
about making it so big that if it doesn't go exactly the way you want, it's hard to tweak. But to say it is going to be so much easier a year from now to evaluate something that already exists and make it better than if we had just waited another year for it to start. Absolutely. It is easier to steer a car that's already moving, right? What we've also done with HLI, High Point Leadership Institute, I've had this dream for a long time that we would start our own version of a seminary. Well, that sounds so big and overwhelming that you probably never do it. What we did is we backed that down and we said, what if we could start internships for college students or the college equivalent? And what if we could have residency programs for college graduates or the work equivalent? So we've just launched the High Point Leadership Institute, where a third of that program is mentoring, a third of that program is academic investment, and a third of that program is on-the-job training. So again, it's just another way that we are developing in this way, difference makers for the church, for nonprofits, and also for the business community. But we just have to start. And if we start, then people will join a vision that's in action. Very few people who join a vision that's just purely in the idea mode. Every time God has ever used me to be a vision caster, a visionary, to take something from idea into reality, the people followed after I already had invested work, made sacrifices. People aren't going to follow at a greater level of sacrifice than you as the leader. I'm thinking about the Love Works board. We have a terrific group of high-level executives that any one of us would love to learn and pick their brain and know that they've had a level of success from a work ethic and a character that we respect. Exactly what you said is what we have seen to be true, and it really leads into the next principle that we have picked out from this book, Rework, that we recommend for anyone to really get their hands on. But it says this, no time is no excuse. Give them the context of that statement, and then let's apply it back to how we've seen that actually work itself out. Well, frequently, there are many excuses why we don't have time. Many excuses why there's not enough time or not enough money to start a new endeavor, to start a new business, to start a new ministry. It's a convenient excuse. Because all of us have the same amount of time. So it's not that we don't have time. It's just how we choose to prioritize our time. It's what we choose to invest our time in. There's always enough time if you spend it right. If you reorganize your priorities, if you reweight and distribute your priorities, when you want something bad enough, you make the time regardless of the other obligations. So in the category of the Love Works nonprofit or in HLI, High Point Leadership Institute, there's a certain part of me as a leader, I just get tired of waiting. And there's a certain part of me that gets tired of waiting for perfect circumstances to line up. And when we get done with this and we get done with that, then we'll do it. Well, if that's the case, we'll never do it. There is kind of this, I like to call it holy discontent, that thing that lives inside of me that says, I can not afford to wait any longer. I am simply going to push through 
and make this happen because if we don't push through and make it happen, it won't happen. But if it doesn't happen, there are some people's lives who will not be changed. And there are some people's lives who they won't come to know the Lord or they won't be a difference maker or they won't be the leader or they won't have the opportunity. So let's not allow time to be the excuse. Listen, it is entirely your responsibility to make your dreams come true. Here's the deal. It is true that what you're talking about is not being unhealthy and out of balance and crazy. But what happens is when there is something that you see a problem that has to be solved and that you cannot wait any longer, it gives you the perspective to evaluate what in my life am I doing that is not as important, that needs to be put on the back burner to do the thing that is more important so that it is a great tool to really refine how am I spending my time? Is it as useful as it can be? With the Love Works Institute, in that very same way, here we have a group of high-level executives. They are traveling constantly. They are up to their eyeballs with all sorts of responsibilities as leaders of major companies. But they saw a vision and a need and the problem defined in such a way that they made time to be a part of it, too. So just as busy as anybody else, but they They've put their time into it because they see the value in it. When you talk about balance, I agree wholeheartedly that we don't want to be out of balance in such a way that we become unhealthy. But I also think it's very important for people to realize that there is this myth out there that we actually live balanced lives. I don't know any great leader who's balanced. Great leaders actually are amazingly driven. Now, they have a higher capacity to balance things, and they prioritize the most important things. Now, some leaders will lose perspective and not prioritize family or not prioritize God, but that's not what we're talking about here. What I'm saying is the leaders that I have known, I do not describe as balanced people. They are passionate people who have a certain force of will. They are going to make it happen, but it's a game of addition and subtraction. Every time they add something, they know they have to subtract something. And so they add what adds value to their life, and they subtract what subtracts value from their life. Every time they add something, they have to reprioritize so that they can have their definition of balance, not the normal person's definition of balance, because these are higher capacity people. The other thing that it moves you to do is it moves you to enable other people to use their gifting. I direct a women's ministry. That's not a Fortune 500 company. No, it's a women's ministry. But I can even see that as I have dreams and visions for that ministry to go further and to accomplish more and to change more women's lives, that if I'm depending on my 24 hours a day to do it, nothing will happen. But if I say, what is the one thing that only I can do? And I focus my time on that. And then I look around and see who God has brought alongside of me that has the ability to help fulfill other parts of that. Maybe if people are feeling like, I don't know how to make this happen and how to move forward. Who has God brought into your circle that can help do some of the other things that you are actually empowering them and giving them an opportunity to use their gifts that if you were content with where you are, you would be enabling them to stay content where they are. I agree wholeheartedly. Let me put that in the context of this statement. We said this just a moment ago. It's entirely your responsibility to make your dreams come true. Here's where that applies. It's your responsibility to build that team. 
not just you alone, but be a team builder. And when you build a team, then you prioritize what only you can do, what your highest and best use is. And then you find the appropriate skill sets that you need. You find the teammates to fit that. And then you work together as a team to accomplish that. But you don't allow this excuse to prevent you from doing it. Well, it's just me. I don't have a team guess what? When we started High Point Church, we didn't have a team either. And we didn't have money to go hire a team, but we had to go build a team. What we did have is a vision. And if you have a vision, you can build a team. But if you don't have a vision, you'll never build a team. And obviously, we could do a whole other podcast on this topic. But as I'm thinking about that word balance and how we're applying it in this particular situation, I do think there is the irony. Maybe that's not even the right word. But as I started out talking about the energy that can lead us to maybe be content and not be motivated to make a difference in this world, sometimes we call that balance. For all of us to go, we are on this earth for a reason. If you consider yourself a follower of Christ, then you are here for his glory and for his purpose. Sometimes we can kind of use the vernacular of our culture to say, oh, we're trying to have balance, when really we're using that as an excuse that keeps us really from being all that God created us to be. And he's never going to give us more than we can handle. So it is being a good steward of every minute that we have and what that looks like to be a good steward of your relationship with the Lord, of your marriage, of your family, and of your talents and skills that he's given you. In that respect, God did not call us to go and educate the world, but educating the world is a part of us going and making disciples. We go and we make disciples, a learner and follower of Christ. And a disciple is someone who is advancing the kingdom of God. They're bringing the kingdom of God to earth. What we're trying to do is understand that God is a creator. When God sent his son, he didn't send us a philosopher. He didn't send us, you know, an educator. He sent us a savior. And then he has called us to be ambassadors for Christ. So everything that we're called to be means we're also called to do. So he changes who we are so that we change what we do. In that regard, what I want to do in this whole world of this last point that let's not make excuses. You have a God-given purpose in your life. That purpose is not just to change the way you think, and that purpose is not just to make you more moral. That purpose is that God changes you from the inside out, but when he changes you from the inside out, he gives you a mission. And every single follower of Christ has the mission to go and make disciples, and that's the way we change the world. Well, I hope that this is resonating with our audience and you're seeing how these very practical principles actually allow us to be the men and women of God that he's called us to be, to allow us to have the tools and the thought process to make things happen. So we've talked about learning from mistakes is overrated. Start making something. No time is no excuse. We've got time to hit one more principle before we wrap up for this particular podcast. And I think this one is right up your alley. Draw a line in the sand. What does that have to do with us being people who make a difference? If someone doesn't know what you stand for, then how are they going to follow you? 
what makes you distinctive, what separates you from the crowd, what makes you a leader instead of a follower is you stand for something. You fight for something. You have identified a problem out there and you have a burden to solve that problem. So you have drawn your line in the sand and you said, this is who I am. This is what I stand for. And this is what I am about. This is what I'm going to do. And I'm inviting you to follow me. Now, when you are that type of a leader and you draw a line in the sand, that attracts super fans. I can't think of anybody who is attracted to someone who is just simply kind of middle of the road, someone that's average, someone that doesn't have some unique feature in their personality that makes them stand out. What we've got to do is we've got to realize that in order for you to have people who follow you in that super fan category or that raving fan category, Ken Blanchard wrote a book called Raving Fans. What that means is if people are neutral in the way that they follow you, they're probably close to being negative. Because eight out of 10 people who actually are negative don't speak the negativity. They'll just kind of keep it to themselves. But the ones, when you start hearing negativity, you're hearing the two out of 10 that will be really vocal about it. If the things in your leadership circle are kind of quiet and you're not really hearing positive stories, but you're only hearing silence or you're hearing negative stories, then the problem is the absence of the positive. You have got to be such a strong leader that you're always making something happen where there is always good news. There's always results to talk about. And in sports, it's the equivalent of you're on a winning streak. And so that's what you talk about. That brings us to the end of this particular podcast. We'll pick up and have one more edition to bring you some more really practical and I hope encouraging, inspiring ways for you to think through your life, for you to think through how can I be a difference maker. So in the meantime, if you want more information on High Point Church, you can go to highpointmemphis.com. If you want to follow either Chris or myself, we both have blogs, Chris Conley, spelled C-O-N-L-E-E dot net or Karen Conley, K-A-R-I-N, Conley.com. More than anything, though, we want you to remember that love God plus love people equals love works.